Nothing really matters. Anyone can see. There's grapes in front of me. Those are olives. Olives. <laughs> okay. Well, there's there's kind of champagne. No, it is. It's, it's legally a wine. Welcome to Unfortunate Required Reading. Mm-hmm. Today we're discussing Sappho. Yep. And this cocktail. Yeah. Um, so we're drinking Uzo because Greece. And uh, Uzo is essentially just Greek absinthe. So my logical brain decided, let's make a death in the afternoon, but let's make a sapphic death in the afternoon. So there is some uh, blackberry, it's actually not vodka, it's blackberry brandy, which is better. Uh, there's a lot of grenadine in here, Uzo, and uh, champagne. And a couple of maraschino cherries for, for color. For color. For Instagram. Ready? Let's do it. Opa. Okay. I mean, it's not terrible. No. I would even wager to say it's it's good. This tastes like a hangover. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I will say this. If this was a drink passed to me at a bar, like the Mayor of Vengeance bar and uh, the Matrix Reloaded, like if this was just passed to me, I would accept it. But I would never of my own volition order this. Never be like, uh, two sapphic deaths in the afternoon, please. Yeah. Did I just make a deep cut that was too deep? That was really deep. That was that was too deep of a deep cut? I'm going to eat some more of this feta cheese. Yeah, we also have a Kalamata olives, which are pitted, because uh, no one likes having to visit the dentist because of a chipped tooth. Nope. And we have feta cheese, because uh, Lesbos, which is where we're going, uh, in a literary sense, we're not physically going there. I mean, we could, though. All right. <laughs> we got one sponsor, we're going to Lesbos. Uh... We do have feta cheese and olives, which are all things that uh, Les Boss is known for, as well as the ouzo. We tried to find a way to get out of the ouzo, but we, we couldn't get out of the ouzo. That's true. Also, I want to give a shout out to Jason S. I don't know if we're allowed to use last names on the podcast, yep. but thank you so much for being our very first supporter. Yes, thank you. If you would like to join Jason in a very, very warm place in our collective hearts, uh, please feel free to be a sponsor. Uh, it is thanks to his generosity that we were able to buy slightly better champagne mm-hmm. and this ouzo that does not taste like death N- not not death no it's definitely i mean if i ha- if you were twisted my arm and you said you must have a licorice liqueur kind of thing i think i would take ouzo over like per no or absinthe so so we're not going with hemingway this time oh no no never no. go never go with hemingway i think he would hate us especially after the last episode we did about him mm-hmm we got in trouble for talking about mansplaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot about toxic masculinity, and lo and behold, people got angry. All right. So, we know what we're drinking. We know mm-hmm. what we're reading. Mm-hmm. Now we get to talk about Sappho. We do get to talk about Sappho. So here's the thing. Um, reading the works of Sappho is kind of like listening to a Tori Amos CD you found in the back of your car from the 90s that's all scratched up. So a lot of her work is incomplete or missing Mm -hmm. because honestly, the majority of it was her singing this and then people years later going, Oh, let's write that down. Yeah. So, and then, you know, people later on started thinking, Oh, she was, she was not a great role model for people. So we should get rid of her. We will clarify a lot of that because that is not true. Yeah, um, we actually do a fair amount of research for this pod. And in our research, uh, we discovered a lot of things about Sappho. May not be true. You folded the corners of your book. I know. I'm a monster. I went I'm out of monster. my way. I cut these individual pieces of ribbon. I need you to know that, and I'll, I'll put this on Instagram. <laughs> Amanda has these, like, golden <laughs> ribbons in her book of Sappho. <laughs> I cut these individual pieces of ribbon so I didn't have to fold the corners of my book. I am an absolute monster who is stuck on a flight in LAX. I also so. have a holographic bookmark of all the planets. I mean, that, that works for this, too. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I was ashamed because I was reading this while I was getting my hair done. I was at my white hegemony appointment. And I was going to fold a corner. And I felt like a psychic presence saying that you would judge me for this. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, see, see it is I who judges <laughs> I was going to say, that is the logical, beautiful <laughs> god of literature leaning down over your shoulder going, ah, don't bend that. Yeah. And mine was like, bend it. Because evidently I'm stuck in the demon camp. So if you do listen very closely, you can hear sand in it because I read this on the beach uh, on my birthday 
few years ago. I should specify that hers is also like a library copy. Like it a, is. Like when they when they get rid of it, mm-hmm. which is always very sad. But then like you get them really discounted. Three dollars. You keep them on the shelf and you feel like a badass. I do feel like a badass. And it's very hard to destroy them, so that makes me happy. Indestructible. So, Sappho, we only have about 650 lines of her left. There is only one song that's remaining in full, which is called Ode to Aphrodite. Which we will read. Um, yes, and it yeah. is one of those things that her her lines are really good. It's almost like a few years ago, if you ever used Image Fave or like this before the days of Instagram's popularity where somebody would just take a line from poetry and like put it on a nice background setting. That's kind of like, I do that for my blog multiple times a month, ma'am. I'm sorry. I don't take, actually one of the first quotes I used for my blog was a quote from Sappho. That is a, that was about a grief shall never enter a house that courts the muse. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Sappho is very memeable. Like, I mean, I know that that word has like two different meanings on the internet. Like meme as in like a piece of, uh, literature or text or an image that is then kind of like mass reproduced and then changes depending on culture and status. Like technically there are memes in ancient Egypt. Like there are hieroglyphic memes, uh, which is hilarious because you really have to know a lot about ancient Egypt to get are them. Are they like the original cat memes? Actually kind of, yes. Um, there's a lot of like ancient Egyptian like graffiti where like the guy working on like this one particular stila will be like, I was here. And then like the next line will be, and me too. <laughs> so... Or um, a lot of, like, very, like, gross, like, lewd little drawings in, like, corners. You see that in Greece and Rome, too. But that's so memeable as in we have all these fragments from her that are great one-liners. I I do wish we had her poetry, though. Yeah. Good lord. So the majority of what we're going from is, if not winter, fragments of Sappho, Mm -hmm. um, translated by Anne Carson. This is probably going to be, like, the most complete complete that we've seen. Um, I actually cop- copied and pasted Ode to Aphrodite off of the internet because, well, there's a lot of poetry websites, y'all. Well, I do have the one in this one. You want? Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? I can read it. Deathless Aphrodite of the spangled mind, child of Zeus who twists lures, I beg you, do not break with hard pains. O oh, lady, my heart, but come here if ever before. You caught my voice far off and listening, left your father's golden house and came. Yoking your car of fine birds brought you, quick sparrows over the black earth, whipping their wings down the sky through midair. They arrived but you, O blessed one, smiled in your deathless face and asked what, now again, I have suffered and why, now again, I am calling out and what I want to happen most of all in my crazy heart. Whom should I persuade, now again, to lead you back to her love? Who, oh, Sappho, is wronging you? Dang. Oh, I'm sorry, did you not know that I had a radio voice? I didn't know you had a radio voice, now we know. (laughs) I kind of now want you to be like, listen, Joe, I know you're having a really rough night tonight. Thank you so much for calling in the Coast to Coast. Yeah, fun fact, I come from a bit of a lineage of uh, radio personalities. Uh, my uncle is one currently, and my father was for a while, so. My dad was briefly a DJ in Phoenix in, like, the 70s. That sounds awesome. I once asked him, I'm like, what what kind of music did you play? He's like, I don't know, I was high the whole time. Um, he did remember once seeing a very attractive woman walk in, and he played Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones and then played... Rolling Stones for the rest of the night. You remember that part. I support that. Yeah. Also, um, I a lot of these I have uh, highlighted. And by highlighted, I mean embossed with gold ribbon. I think we picked the same one. I think maybe. we did. Let's see. 27. Oh, my God. We did. Oh, my God. Okay. Great minds think alike. I want to read this one. Please um, do. In her book, it, in the Ann Carson translation, it's page 27, but it's also marked as fragment 16. Mm-hmm. Some say, some men say an army of horse, and some men say an army on foot, and some men say an army of ships is the most beautiful thing on the black earth. But I say it is what you love. And there's a lot more to that, but it's just like, yeah. I mm-hmm. like it. it makes me happy. Well, I like that she references a Helen of Troy in this. Mm-hmm. There's So here's a primer. We're probably going to talk a little bit about mythology and history in a minute, but uh, 
I understand why people sometimes think that Sappho's uh, poetry is unapproachable because it is 100% contemporary to her. Mm-hmm. And unless you were an almost classics major like me, some of this can be a little, uh, what you're talking about, Willis? There's also a lot that's missing. So even some of the fragments, it'll be like a one word. And you're like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that, but I'll take that one yeah. word. I have one highlighted that's a fragment 38, but it's on page 77 that is a you burn me just so I can have that Greek script in case I need to like write it on a curse fragment or something. It'd make a really good tattoo too in Greek. Yeah, I just, I'm, so I love Japanese culture and I've always wanted to get like a katakana or hiragana tattoo, but I know if that tattoo artist messes up one line, you can take one word from something and make it completely something else. So I would be very afraid to like trust a tattoo artist to be like, Here's this Greek script that no one uses anymore. Happy Hunger Games on my thigh. I would really love if it actually translated to Happy Hunger Games. I would actually love that too. Secretly, yes. I mean, as long as it it didn't end up being like in Chinese, like saying like mushu pork or something. I would actually kind of like that. Uh, We we didn't really have a section in themes, but um, there is one theme that I think is very, very fascinating. A lot of the fragments that I saved were um, ones that talk about her virginity. Like, fragment 107 on 219 just says, do I still yearn for my virginity? There's a few that I saved that were about, like, the theme of, like, her virginity, which I think is fascinating, because uh, Sappho's sapphicness kind of then is brought a little bit into question. Also, she writes a lot of what could be, like, considered erotica. And a lot of them were commissioned for weddings. Yes. So she she got called up to do wedding poetry quite a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I guess it's better than her version of Fiverr or whatever. I am not making this podcast timeless, I, I fear. I'm just mm-hmm. like, here's a bunch of things. It's where it's going to be going back and being like, 10 years from now, people are going to be like, what the hell is she talking about Facebook? It's like, MyScape? MySca- I panicked what? on the internet today because uh, there was a prompt saying, how did you spend your time on the internet before social media? And Gaia was trending on, like, on Twitter. I freaked out. I'm like, oh God, what happened? Like, oh, God. Hanging out on the live journal. Oh, yeah, the Zanga. I was on melodramatic.com a lot. Yeah, we've uh, we've discussed who we were in high school, which realistically not much has changed. I'm, I'm emotionally in a better place, but realistically I'm still the same uh, emo poet. I mean, I want to die a lot less, so... I mean, I mean that's, that's good. That's good, right? That, I mean, that, yeah, that's positive. I mean, I... I like her work. I just, I lament that we don't have more of it. Because it, it does very much feel like, uh, like someone made like, a, like those fridge magnet poems of like cool things. We have the poems on the fridge downstairs. I love it. I like fragment 48 that you came and I was crazy for you and you cooled my mind that burned with longing. Yeah. I love it. Um, Something that I found really interesting listening to more information on Sappho, like how we have so many phrases that Shakespeare is responsible for in our, our modern lexicon, Sappho's descriptions mm-hmm. kind of framed a lot of how we think of things like blonde hair and silver moonlight and what it means to be completely stammering and uncomfortable in the presence of somebody you're really into. Yeah. So she she captured a lot of that. And while male poets and and practicers of the lyre were very well known in her time period. The fact that she was out there doing stuff was, was really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of discussion of whether or not she was a courtesan or whatever like that. But a lot of people think maybe it was just, there were really two places that you could perform. If you were a woman, you could either perform at a late night drunken party or you could perform for the gods at the temple. So there's a lot of back and forth about, where she would have performed and also probably one of the things that's tarnished her reputation. Yeah, that's true. And um, it is a little bit strange that we, considering how meticulous uh, record keepers the Greeks were, we kind of have lost a lot of that, mostly, honestly, due to Christian influence. We'll we'll get to that in a minute, but uh, realistically, we've lost a lot of her work uh, and a lot of her just history because of it. And honestly, there's a lot of like infighting Mm-hmm. On, like, who she was and what she was, which is, at this stage, just sort of frustrating. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and save us all the Mary Magdalene speech. 
No, I mean, I <laughs> honestly, it was like, is she? She very much is the literary Mary Magdalene. That depending on who's writing about her, she's either the greatest, most revolutionary woman that's ever existed, or some random hoe off the side of the road. And that's that's a really big challenge in here. I mean, like she's pictured on pots of anti- antiquity that were reserved for goddesses and gods mm-hmm. and nymphs and things like that. And she's almost always pictured with her lyre and a crown because she was the best. Right. She was like the best known. But we don't talk about her. Though I will say, we do talk about uh, sapphic as a word, which is then uh, the word that we use to describe love from a woman to another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I, I mean, I, I think is a great, I think that's a great tribute. What's interesting is that didn't actually come about until like 1761. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Of, of them actually using her name in relation to ladies loving ladies. Um, There's so much ouzo, I'm sorry. There is a lot of ouzo. <laughs> I, I just made a face like a mummified cat. She really did, and it was amazing, <laughs> and I kind of wish I had taken a picture. Because it's kind of what my cat looks like when she's fighting or when she's about to throw up. And uh, <laughs> It's so much ouzo. Did I do okay? Is this better than the death in the afternoon? It is better than the death in the afternoon. Like like this, I think I'm going to drink the whole thing of. I'm going to stomach through it. I'm going to get through this. The olives are lovely. No, the olives are great. So is the feta. Usually, Kalamata olives and I have a have a semi abusive relationship. Oh no. (laughs) I I have to be an adult to appreciate olives. See, I love olives, and I know that I have quite a few friends who are like throwing up into the trash can right now hearing that. So it's like, why? Why olives? I don't know. I like them. I like weird stuff, okay? I do wonder. Like, when it comes to like, the etymology of food, why does this exist? Like, who looked at this berry and was like, we should eat this? Actually, we should put it in salt water for a very, very long time. I'm still confused about the first person who walked up to a cow and was like, I'm going to drink from that. Yeah, like, was there, like, an accident? Did it, like, press on the cow too hard and, like, milk came out? Like, I just, I want to understand. Humans are silly. Like, I can understand how we got honey. Like, you know, you put your fist into a beehive and this cool thing comes out. It hurts, but it's nice. It hurts, but it's delicious? Yeah. I mean, that's, like, alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like that. Except for Uzo. Except for Uzo. Can you imagine taking this as a shot? No. Like, I... My big fat Greek wedding, I just keep having these flashbacks to it. Um, I also told my husband that I need to get invited to a Greek wedding. So if you live in San Antonio and you're having a Greek wedding, I am down to come. Yeah, I, I'm an excellent gift giver. So I'll be your plus one to that. I, <sighs> I haven't yelled Opa yet, and, and we're not going to be breaking any plates. I, I did want to break a plate or two, but, but I, apparently, that, apparently that decision was vetoed. The husband vetoed breaking any plates. Men, evidently, I wouldn't fun. be cleaning it up right anyway. So, oh, there is one thing I will say yeah. if you do buy, uh, if not winter by Ann Carson, there is a lot of information that she gives about uh, translations and words and history. And if you're a word nerd like I am, uh, this is very, very nice. There's a ton of breakdown in the back, it's lovely. Um, I quite like it, I do quite like it because I, I do think that kind of without. Preamble. This is just sort of a the ramblings of a drunk woman in Greece. Is she really drunk, though? I mean, I would imagine so. In the way that realistically all ancient people were kind of drunk, water wasn't really a thing. So not 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 in the way that we imagine dr- our knees touch. Gasp. <laughs> um, not not in the way that we would imagine drunk, but uh, in the way that uh, you would be if your only option for liquid was wine or beer or mead. I mean, I feel like you'd be low-level cool all the time. Yeah, um, that actually might explain why, in so many ways, uh, these societies were, uh, air quotes, looser than ours, was because there was, like, a low-level drunk all the time. Now, a lot of these liquors did not have, like, the alcohol volumes that you'd assume. Yeah, they're not, like, today. Yeah, they're not, like, turnt. They're not, like, anything like that, but... And, I mean, to be fair, that's also, like, Medical marijuana now is a lot stronger than marijuana was for our families in the 70s. Right. So the whole idea of like, oh, I can't imagine being wasted all day. I'm like, I mean, you're talking about a wine that's maybe 3 to 5% alcohol by volume. Yeah. 
there's 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 sodas with more. <laughs> so what's really interesting to me too is that a lot of times Sappho is just referred to as the lesbian maiden. And it's just because she's from the island of Lesbos. Mm -hmm. And then that term ended up becoming a big thing for, uh, for women. Yeah. Which is interesting because I got to tell you a lot of the reputation that Lesbos got was for fellatio. So what the hell? I I still don't know how that term ended up going to women, but yeah, I mean, I do understand Sappho because if anything to me, Sappho almost sounds like another great bicon. Yeah. We got two bicons. Oh my god. It's almost like there was a plan. There was no plan. There, there was kind of a plan. Uh, you had a plan, Goodbye. I had a plan. <laughs> Were we going to change houses for you? Of course I had a plan. Um, It does seem like, I would, I would be curious, that was one thing we didn't research. I admit, is that I would like to know the etymology of when we started using lesbian and refers to lesbos. Because contrary to popular belief, it was not a giant lesbian colony out in some island. No. It was almost more like, um, if you know a lot about ancient Roman history, is it more like Pompeii? It was a pleasure island? It was kind of a lot like San Francisco, too. <laughs> where hippies and free love? No, or like it was a, a, a center for education and intelligence and, you know, worship of the gods. And, and marijuana? But... You know, everybody out there was like, hey, you're, you know, the people from Lesbos are, are pretty hot. And, you know, they're, they all have this different accent. I mean, that was something they were considered to be more exotic because they had an accent that sounded more like they were from Asia. Mm -hmm. And so people ended up being like, yeah, you know, this super exotic island. But then there was a lot of infighting politically, again, like San Francisco. <laughs> and it ended up being a whole thing where people, they ended up getting a bad reputation as an island which unfortunately years later translated to Sappho having a bad reputation. Mm -hmm. Realistically, a lot of the Greek islands didn't get along with each other. No. Like the city states didn't get along with each other. Like Athens didn't like uh, Sparta. Sparta didn't like anyone. Am I wrong? Sparta was like GTFO. Also, we're taking over this area. Well, originally it was the Athenians that started the, uh, the Melian conflict. Like before the Peloponnesian War and everything, like it was the Athenians that started the conflict and then the Spartans just responded in kind and then the Spartans were terrible to the Melians and everything was bad from then on. Hi. Classic so drama in the BC. Oh, just so much. Like, this, this whole... I think the Greeks were, like, the first great, like, spin doctors because if you look at, like, Greek pottery, everything was great all the time and that's just not the case. Look at these women are having a great time and they're all naked. You should come to Greece. Yeah. But then when you read like actual Greek history, there was a lot of infighting. There was a lot of complaining. There was a lot of uh, these city states not liking each other. There was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of that. Also, uh, the idea of Greek democracy is a lie. It was more of a republic kind of thing. Because it's kind of like the difference between like Austin and Dallas. Yeah, I would definitely say that, but with more spears. So... Is Texas basically Greece? Yes. Well, uh, so do you know about the Six Californias, right? The Six Californias movement? I do know about the Six Californias movement. I will tell our audience. So okay. Don't worry. Thank you. I just made you the look. You, you did. Uh, so Six Californias was, uh, I think it was, it was some kind of like litigation. Like someone wanted to make it like a law or something uh, that basically said that California cannot have one governor. Realistically, every part of California is so different and so radically different from each other that you couldn't have a governor who was responsible from, like, Oakdale to San Francisco to L.A. to, like, touching Mexico to touching Air Oregon. Like, you can't do that. You can't have someone who's in control of all of that. And having just got back from Eureka, I'm going to tell you that's pretty accurate. I mean, I grew up in Southern California. SoCal. Eureka and San Francisco and the five hours of driving in between is very, very different from where I grew up. Also, for some reason, Eureka was a lot less expensive when it came to food, but gas is still $4 a gallon. Yeah, and honestly, I feel Texas, I think honestly, Texas is like that too. A lot of the bigger cities, I think, have that problem. Like, Dallas is different than Austin, is different than Houston, is different than Brownsville. 
is way different than San Antonio. Oh, it's so different than San Antonio. Like, realistically, yeah, you could have, like, five or six Texases. And realistically, yeah, they kind of should have their own representation. I'm not going to go as far as say their own government. Because then you'd have, like, one very racist part of Texas. I'm not going to say which part. Cough North. <laughs> Cough the North. What's fascinating, too, is just that Texas used to be its own country. Yes. And they will never, ever, ever let you forget We that. are the only state that can fly our flag at the same height as the United States flag. Everyone else has to fly theirs below. Yep. So there. Yeah. Now that's a thing you know. Well, and I have a lot of friends that are overseas, and, like, that's one thing that they kind of don't understand is, like, Texan superiority. Like, they understand, like, New York is cool. They get, like, California is full of, like, weed and hot people. But, like, what is Texan superiority? Why do Texans think that they're so great? Like, first of all, we're huge. Um, second of all, H-E-B actually sells meat and cheese trays in the shape of Texas. Yeah, like, I, I, I think that I think that what's amazing about, like, national identity and everything is that there's usually national identity and, like, regional identity. So, like, you can be proud to be English, but you're more proud of where you're from specifically. Like, I'm proud to be Texan, but I'm specifically proud to be a North Texan. Because in my mind, that is better than most of Texas. Because I'm from North Texas. I'm I'm not throwing in the vote here. There is none because we already won. I'm, I'm staying out of this. <laughs> you abstain from the vote. The only thing that I'm willing to fight about on record is breakfast burritos are better than breakfast tacos. Fucking fight me. Okay, so this might... We're not talking about Sappho right now. I'm sorry. I, so I have a question. What is the difference? Because we've received breakfast tacos that, to me, I could argue semantically are burritos. Breakfast burritos are traditionally heartier and have more of a mixture of items within. Okay. Um, also, in California, we tend to put things like avocado in them or chorizo and things okay. like that, which, I mean, we do have here in taco form. But it's, So you want a chipotle for breakfast? I want a burrito the size of a small infant child. Oh. And instead, I get two tacos from Los Palapas that are filled with bean and cheese. Okay, well, first of all, you're making a mistake of going to Los Palapas. We are obviously not sponsored by Los Palapas. I wish they would. <laughs> I wish a bitch would. I wish no, they would. Uh, well, first of all, you're making the mistake of going to Los Palapas. You always have to go to Blanco. Oh, okay. Blanco Cafe is delicious. Which I did take you to, and you, you, were, did. you yeah. thought that I was famous for a brief moment. <laughs> I did think you were famous because the waitress walked up and was like, oh, here's this. And you're like, thank you. Yeah, that was wonderful. But, um, Sappho. Do we need to talk about history? Yeah, we really, really honestly should. Okay. Where do we begin? At the beginning? I mean, that's a very good place to start. I was hoping Uh, you would do that. I set that up so perfectly for you. I'm so glad. But like a zero fail, my eye was twitching the whole time. (laughs) We're not going into the climb every mountain. Anyway, so Sappho has been called a priestess of Aphrodite, a prostitute, a tragic hero that supposedly threw herself off a cliff because she was jilted by a man, but like 90% of that is bullshit. Um, there's also rumors that she had a husband, but these honestly come from satire plays, and the translation of the husband's name usually comes down to something like Dick of Man Island. So it's probably a joke. <laughs> I had to Google that because I saw that in uh, one of the history books. And it was just, I didn't know that was a thing. I love it, though. It's kind of like they lost her stuff, but then they found all these posts on the internet with, like, Savage Arthur. And we're like, yeah, we're going to use that. Yeah, pretty much. Don't look up Savage Arthur. It'll just hurt your soul. Um, She... So a lot of her songs were sung and remembered a lot like oral traditions in other cultures, but usually it wasn't written down until a long time after. And most of her songs were written down onto papyrus and it honestly didn't survive well. And I mean, part of that has to come from the fact of floods, accidental fires, burning down of the Library of Alexandria, you know, that kind of stuff. Also religious groups saying that she was a horrible human being because she was related to the island of Lesbos. Sorry, yeah. I had I had some Christianity stuck in my throat. <laughs> I could go so many places with that, but I'm not going to. As a Lutheran. Yeah, as a Lutheran, you have no leg to stand on. Oh, no leg to stand on. None whatsoever. Martin Luther was an asshole. 
But he made 99 very good points. And, like, a petty ex-girlfriend nailed them to the door. Like, when you lay your cheating boyfriend's clothes out on the lawn. Listen, he had 99 problems and all of them were the Catholics. And all of them apparently were the church. In all fairness, indulgences are bad. Indulgences are very bad. Dude, because then if I had money, I would just pay out of all the stupid shit I did in my 20s. But, oh, absolutely. And and we're kind of screwed now as a, a culture because my kid is not going to grow up in a time where people didn't take pictures of you at the bar. That's true. That's true. Anyway, I believe that we have a brief aside about homosexuality in the classical world. We do. So, um, as a society, I mean, we're more open to homosexuality now, but for a brief period, uh, from like, I don't know, the 1500s onto like yesterday. Oh, I was going to say, uh, it depends on what part of the country. Yeah. I mean, I have to be very, very careful of that word. What part of the world you're in. Yeah. But uh, pretty much up until yesterday, uh, most places, uh, did not have a very strong association or positive association to homosexuality. Here's the thing. The classical world had no issue with that. Oftentimes finding homosexual relationships to be more pure or more important than heterosexual ones. And a lot of times they led to a political alliances too. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of it though was kind of mostly men loving men on frankly because misogyny that two men loving each other was more noble than a man loving a woman because um, even in some ancient cultures like laying with a woman was like laying with some kind of a small animal. Uh, that was a thing. Misogyny has existed since patriarchal cultures have existed. Um, the Spartans did prize love between uh, two men. In fact, actually, it was a whole island full of kind of gross relationships between older men and younger boys, uh, which I'm not going to lump into homosexuality because pedophiles love to try to add themselves into the LGBTQ family and no one invited them to the barbecue. No, they're not invited to the barbecue. No, we actually have a restraining order. Uh, there are people armed at the gates with brooms. We keep trying to get them out, but then uh, straight people who don't like gay people will try to add them to our family, and we don't want them there. Please stop adding pedophiles and also bestiality into LGBT. It's not the same thing. It will never be the same thing. Please, kindly, see yourself out the door. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness, who was on Queer for the Strike, I recently found his non-binary. And of course, uh, he, uh, and I'm still gendering himself he, because he genders himself he before you come at me. Uh, saying, you know, sometimes I feel like a man, sometimes I feel like a woman, and the comments were full of, like, sometimes I feel like a helicopter. And it's like, you know what? If you feel like a helicopter doesn't hurt anyone, go be a fucking helicopter. Ben Ness, like, pulls off dresses better than I do, so... Like, Like, dang. Like, the whole idea that, like, well, sometimes I feel like a motorboat. Girl, bye. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I felt like Billy Porter, but I don't. Oh, right, and I never will be. Billy Porter is beautiful. His last dress at the Tony that was inspired by the female reproductive system. It was just beautiful. I didn't I didn't get to see the Tonys because I was out of town for the wedding. The only time I've ever liked James Corden. I like James Corden because of Doctor Who. I so. think he is an obnoxious little weasel. Really? But he can sing so I'll allow it. Mm. <laughs> he is he is young Neville Longbottom who can sing. Okay. But Neville Longbottom like totally That's why I said up. young. I'm not giving him that opportunity. I had a friend who was, like, really into Neville, and I was like, okay, I mean, like, if that's your thing, and then, like, Neville hit puberty, and we were both like, oh, he's really pretty, and she's like, mm-hmm, now you see what I'm talking about? And I'm like, I'm sorry that the representation of my house is a greasy little man-child. I'm sorry, he will not talk about Jacob Elfway that way. Okay, I do have to say, though, the actor um, at the opening of the, the Hagrid ride. Tom Felton. Tom Felton, thank you. That was adorable. Yes. He was so excited. We've gone off the rails. We are, okay, so we're really off the rails on this podcast a lot because there's no, like, really definitive facts. Yeah, it's, it's literally kind of us pulling out off of uh, straws. We're doing our best. Um, so let us tell you a little bit about the island of Lesbos. Yeah, the island of Lesbos is uh, actually close to Turkey. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. yeah, I had to Google the geography. That might explain some of the accents. Yeah, it might explain some of the accent. It also will probably explain uh, a lot of the olives. The olives are delicious when it happened. Yes. Uh, it was the home of the cult of Sibylle, which is actually one of my favorite goddesses in all of the Greco-Roman world, because Sibylle is a multi-breasted goddess who had a cult that uh, one of her statues was a statue made by Galen, the famous uh, builder, Ooh. and you, it uh, squirted milk from all of her breasts. 
and her uh, cult members would like drink milk from her boobs. That sounds like a really good night out. So here's the thing. I love that uh, as far as my family was concerned, me wanting to study the classics was just me wanting to get closer to religion. Actually, no, it was so I could become a deviant in different languages. <laughs> Amanda, deviant in multiple languages. I am 100%. Because, sure, I did learn how to say the Our Father in Latin, but now I also know about Sibylle, the multi-boobed goddess. So you're just like a polyglot deviant? I, 100% yes. That will go on my headstone underneath the lyrics to uh, For Good from Wicked. Oh, Yeah. I was listening to Wicked last night. That's weird. Oh, God. Oh, no. Um, they do have some really, really nice pottery uh, with some different colors in the clay because of the soil, which is not as volcanic than you would expect. Um, the accent was mostly Asian, which, again, makes sense if it's near Turkey, because really Asia uh, starts pretty sooner than you think. Like there's parts of Europe that we would assume Europe, they're actually kind of technically Asia, uh, which is why I do agree with the idea to start calling it the Eurasian continent, because one race is kind of a weird construct and two borders are a myth in a lot of ways. I have a really hard time imagining Russia as Asia every time. But it is. Yeah. Well, and that's something that Russia has always struggled with, is that they were never really Asian because they didn't like the Mongols who invaded them. They weren't ever really European, but they also hated the Vikings that took over, which is why, I mean, if you want to talk about, like, Russia, you have to go, like, to the Kievian Rus and everything, which no one wants to do that. Well, for me, it always kind of comes out to Russia is Russia. Yeah. I mean, even their religion, like the Greek Orthodox, or not the Greek Orthodox, the Russian, the Russian Orthodox, Orthodox in, in the name. is very different from the Greek Orthodox. Absolutely. Yes. Very different from Catholicism. It's very different from everything. They're culture and legends and traditions and myths are very different from Greek and Roman mm -hmm. and even Celtic. Yeah. It's, uh, Russia is a beautiful place. They're not our friends right now, so I can't say nice things about them. I like Baba Yaga, okay? No, I mean, we can talk about the myths still, but, like, they're not our friends, and they have not been our friends since, uh, World War II. You know, a little bit after World War II. Were we friends, or did we just... I think we just stopped fighting for a while. Because there was a bigger that's, problem? And that's that's the really interesting thing, is that the United States doesn't understand Russia, and I think to some extent the Russians don't understand the United States, and I think that's where a lot of the issues come from. Yeah. Because it's very, very different cultures. A lot of the United States is based on principles that came down from Greeks and Romans, and... Mm -hmm. And it, anyway, it's a whole thing. And the English, so much of the English, for, sorry, off the rails again. No, I, I mean, I, I do think it's all still important insight. I mean, I, I, we're not talking about how great my hair looks right now. No, your hair is amazing. Thank you. Look like a nice Professor Snape. <laughs> Professor Snape going to Pride. So the <laughs> island of Lesbos was also kind of a romantic party town with like, we already talked about a lot of political infighting. Yeah, it does truly remind me of Pompeii. If you've ever visited Pompeii, which I've been fortunate enough to do. Jealous. Uh, it's very quiet because everyone's dead. <laughs> uh, it was a bit of a, it's a pleasure town. Um, there are a lot of great, uh, on Pompeii, there's a lot of great mosaics of uh, penises and a lot of great uh, phallic statues. I had um, no idea. Again, Aunt's taught me Latin. Learn to go find out where the penis statue is. I don't know what they thought I would do with this power. I'm sure it's a bit of a disappointment. I do still remember my prayers. I think your aunts were hoping you would use it for good, but you're a Slytherin. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it was a bit of a pleasure island, which, again, I, I, I just, I don't, I guess, I guess my question is, is where the myth of Sappho leaked into Lesbos? Because the idea of calling Lesbos, like, because people still love their fun fact, I don't know, mm -hmm. I actually had no idea people still lived there. I had assumed that it was, like, abandoned and no one lived there. But, yeah, there were folks that... super pretty, too. It's gorgeous. Thank you, Internet, for showing me how pretty it is. Um, I, I do feel like we have to go at least once. I, I would like to. I mean, and do what? I don't know, but... Just, just kind of walk around and recite poetry. I mean, even the old temples to Hera and... what? Did the, how did that guy pronounce it? I always say Dionysus, but he's like, Dionysus. Or something. And yeah, there's a Greek pronunciation. Doing like, and it was like really beautiful. 
um, and Zeus. And it, the temple now has some columns and things like that that have been broken down. But they were saying at Sappho's time it was made out of wood. Mm-hmm. And it was more of an afterthought. It was just like, hey, this is a holy place. This mm-hmm. is holy land to our gods. Um, so that's likely where she came to perform, like was out on the, the outskirts of this temple mm-hmm. um, and to sing her song and her music and then probably got some patrons coming by and saying, hey, do you want to sing at my wedding? And she's like, heck yeah. Um, I would love to have Sappho sing at my wedding. There is some, there's a, a gentleman right now who is trying to reconstruct some of the fragments and the way that things would have been pronounced in Greek mm-hmm. and trying to recreate her music. And it's haunting. It's really haunting. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it almost reminds me a little bit of, um, like, ukiyo-e and, like, how geishas performed, like, singing these, like, very, like, haunting, almost, like, melancholic songs. Just sad. But with with a strange amount of opticism that is uh, culturally doesn't always translate well. And, I mean, Sappho is more known during our time period, well, and, and the Romantics, as possibly being, you know a little more out there sexually and being, you know, from a deviant place. And it's like a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, years later and translations later and satires later, Mm -hmm. there was more of a description of the island and how it used to be. And that translated over to, oh, yeah, so there was this really great singer that we don't have really very many recordings of anymore or like, you know, her, her actually stuff written down. Right. So that's fun, especially when you start going through things where there is a belief that she threw herself off a cliff for love of this ferryman. Um, Which didn't happen. But it it probably, like, 99.9% didn't happen. If anything, it sounds like uh, this something that the Greeks and the Romans did a lot, which was uh, say that things that happened in myth also happened to important people. Mm-hmm. So that sounds a little bit like uh, a bastardization of one of the tellings of that happens in like the underworld, like in Hades or something, and they might have just attributed that to Sappho. And like, you know, like the Greeks are of that culture, so they know she didn't literally fudge and do that. You know, by the time some fancy man in the 1600s comes along and is like, "Oh, listen to this nonsense." Well, what's interesting too is like the Romantic period. There are paintings of Sappho with her breasts hanging out and looking like this forlorn brooding poetess with just, you know, her tits just out there. Like, I mean, same, but I mean, uh, I mean, I guess when you're super brooding and sad, I mean, like, I don't know that I just sit around with my tits out, but I mean, maybe I should, maybe that's helpful. Yeah. Maybe that'll help. Yeah. Um, we do have to talk about this almost like myth of Sappho that I think we Mm -hmm. both kind of hit a wall against when we were doing research because I know I definitely walked in with a lot of preconceived notions about Mm -hmm. who Sappho was. And then you actually do the research and actually it sounds like, you know, I don't want to say boring in the way that she wasn't an extraordinary person, but like was definitely a little more conventional than I think anyone likes to give her credit for, which again, does not take away from her work, but definitely not necessarily the scandalous figure that I think the romantic era kind of made her out to be. Right. And I know you were saying that there was a lot to do with Alfred Lord Tennyson. and Oh yes. Oh my God. Tennyson, I think, is, like, half the reason why we have this image of her, like, with her tits out and everything. Uh, realistically, a lot of the poets are on the same time. Uh, I mean, we can thank Percy Shelley for this whole Kubla Khan nonsense, and Baudelaire did that, too, and Lord and Byron. Byron. Like, all of these guys, I mean, I, I know I'm conflating some time periods, but relax, I believe the Romantic era stopped, and Victorian era, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> throw in the leave me alone. Uh, yeah, we have, and again, it's a lot of men writing this stuff who come across a fragment and they just imagine, oh, this beautiful waifish whore out writing poetry and lamenting after women, which was forbidden. It wasn't. Calm down. Which is really funny, too, because this whole, like, oh, man, so sexy forever. You also got to remember that there are some songs about how bad her knees ache. Mm-hmm. and how tired she is. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I'm here for those. Yeah, I'm also here for those. Sappho very much feels like a, a mood board. Yes. And there's actually a, on Twitter, there's a, somebody who runs it called Sapphobot. I was going to say, is there a Sapphobot? And it is phenomenal because just these fragments of Sappho, they get popped up. And, and it is from the Ann Carson translation. Mm-hmm. 
it's just wonderful. Like, a lot of it, I mean, you, you can build a nice simulacra of who she was. And honestly, I think it's in reading her poetry that I do have a more complete image of her. It is in these fragments that I have made her whole. Ooh, that was poetic. I know. You've been inspired by Sappho. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I always knew, I always know I do well when a Tori, there's a very specific look that Tori gives me that I quite like. Uh, but it's true. I mean, I've learned a lot about Sappho through her poetry, more so than I ever could by looking at a Wayfish paintings of it, her. I do have to ask, though, is it the look I give you when I'm like, oh, that was a solid point? I think, like, it, there, it's, it's, it's distinct looks, but they all, like, release the same dopamine rush. <laughs> so my brain is just like, I did it good! I did good! Yeah, at this point, I do feel a little bit like a, uh, a knowledgeable parrot. Get you some stickers. I oh my god, please! But not knowledgeable parrot ones. Like I, I am a former Girl Scout and an only child. Nothing would make me happier. <laughs> Dude, do we get to make patches? We could finished a Sappho book. Like anyway, um, you know, welcome to Nightvale can have patches. We can have patches. I like the patches. Yeah, I do too. I just, I think my fear with that is a uh, being outed as a weirdo. I mean, not that I hide it well, but you know, like that, like confirms it. I've been using my uh, unfortunately required reading cup at work, so everybody kind of knows now. Which is not at all a, a request to buy a original. Shameless merch plug. I worked very hard on those designs. I'm glad they look good. They're in Redbubble. I'll put a, another link up. You can also find the link yeah. on unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. But um, so here's why I think we're doing this. One, because it's pride. Mm-hmm. Two, I didn't have to read Sappho. I'm assuming that you probably didn't either. I did not have to read Sappho either. We had her mentioned and stuff when we mm-hmm. were reading Lord Byron and Tennyson and stuff like that. But yeah. I I do think that's a bit of a shame. I can understand why she's difficult to cover curriculum-wise because you have fragments. Um, I, I have a hard time with the word fragment now because I do know this one little piece of Greek history that we get the word ostracize from uh, the Greek word for ostracon which was a practice that they did, but if someone in society was particularly annoying, you could write their name on a fragment, and if too many people voted for this person, uh, they would have to leave the community. Wow. Yeah. And, like, there was one guy, I don't remember his name, but um, it did happen where he was just a good guy. He was just a great guy. And eventually some people voted to have him out because he was too good and no one else could live up to his standards. Wow. Yeah, so then they ostracized him because he was just a good, chill guy. You're too nice. Get out of here. That's literally what happened. Pre-Christianity, almost like you don't need Christianity to be a decent person. Your Kermit side drink. I just, uh, it's times like this that I'm frustrated with Christianity because, again, like, a lot of the shame that comes with homosexuality came from the Christian church. I did, I'm sorry. Like, yes, a lot of early, like, classical homosexuality was rooted in misogyny. Yes, it is true. But that shame, that stigma, that hatred came from Western influence. Like, um, I'm a huge fan of, like, anime and Japanese culture. Japan has very, very strict sodomy laws that still deny the rights of gay people in America, in in Japan. Like, that's that's a truth. That did not start to become a problem until Western influence. Japan... Didn't give a hoot and a half about two men loving each other until Matthew Perry and until Western influence and until some other culture told them they should be ashamed of that. And now, to this day, they have some of the strictest laws regarding sodomy and homosexuality in Asia, what developed Asia. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating that that's the legacy of Christianity is repression. Which is really interesting because if you actually read the New Testament, you read the original translations. No one gave a fig. I know, but I'm just saying, like, if, you, if you're if yeah. reading it, you're reading, like, some Second Temple texts yeah. and stuff like that, it's not the intention. Yeah, that's I know you know that, like, I know, but I'm just... Like, that's the thing, is, like, no one, no one in the Bible gave a fig about that sometimes. Now, Old Testament had a lot of concerns about that, yes. New Testament didn't. Calm down, Becky. A lot of it, you know, is... It is translation and it is control. It yeah. is controlling things you don't understand. See an entire folder on women. Yeah. Um, what's really fascinating to me is whenever somebody pulls out, what is it, Second Timothy, about um, women not being allowed to preach. That was for a specific church, and it beca- was because there were a bunch of women from 
other temples that were coming in mm-hmm. and preaching about their pagan gods. Completely different. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, we could have an entire different podcast on our uh, angst of Christianity. Oh, my, my 25-minute rant on Mary Magdalene. I mean, I've I've read the Gospel of Mary. Like, I'm, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I admit, I found so much frustration with how the church just omitted these things. Because it's not like, you can almost see in glimpses that someone wanted to talk about this, but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, we have a lot of King James to think about. So. Oh, yeah. So thank you, King James, uh, for ensuring that we did not know about a lot of cool things. Though, also, we needed to drive the gunfire plot, so. I mean, the gunpowder plot was bad. Like, that was bad. But, um, I did not have to read this. It is pride. And it seems as if by serendipity that we've covered two possibly by authors. Which is phenomenal. Which is shocking, because I know I have my short story that's due next week, as Tori has so lovely started the trend. I, sorry, I just really love Margaret Weiss Brown. No, you did great. So much. No, you did great. Um. Hopefully mine will be too salacious, because I do have something in mind. Ooh, salacious. I mean, you you can't ignore that part of the LGBT family, is the part that's a little bit salacious. Is there going to be wig snatching? Uh, There is a drunken fight between two men and a very lengthy description of one man's penis. I actually know what you're talking about, and I'm suddenly really excited about this. I'm so happy. Um, I didn't have to read this. And I think that we should. I think that more people should. Um, I definitely recommend this Anne Carson translation. Though. Yes, this translation is phenomenal. Like, uh, if you are afraid of Sappho, which I, I don't know why you would. She's lovely. I mean, I don't know if she was lovely. She might have been a bit of a pain. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. There's no <laughs> There's no record. Uh, I think that this is the most approachable Sappho that you can ever have. And uh, please appreciate that. The reason there's sand in this book is that I did, in fact, sit on the beach in Rockport. And read this while the uh, ocean did meet the shore. And I watched a bunch of seagulls attack a man who ordered a Domino's pizza. I mean, I feel like that is truly in the tradition of Sappho. Yeah, just me with actually my traveling companion and uh, a seagull attacking a man who... Why would you order pizza on the beach? First of all, I didn't know Domino's delivered to a beach. I didn't know. I didn't even realize that they delivered to a bar until last weekend during my friend's bachelorette party. I knew that they would deliver to a bar if you gave them enough money, but why would you order? You're you're inviting seagulls. You're asking for seagulls to attack you. Maybe the seagulls wanted to come too. Maybe they're tired of being left out. Okay, look, I know that you have an appreciation for raccoons, and raccoons are fine. Seagulls, I literally don't understand why they exist. So, fun fact for people who are like who like raccoons: I saw raccoon paw prints on the side of my car the other day, and it's on now. I don't like where this is going. Although I kind of think that my husband may have put them there so that I wouldn't keep having a horrible week. Oh, okay. As I say, are you going to be like the opposite of that woman at the Applebee's who did not like the baby possum? I am 100% the opposite of that woman at the Applebee's because I would have been ordering it appetizers. I sent uh, Tori a message that was a headline that said a woman was not charmed by a baby opossum at the bar of an Applebee's. And the woman was upset and she, of course, asked the baby possum to be removed. I... Would have had some concerns about why there's a possum in the bar. I would like it to be removed to my table. <laughs> like, I would like to hold on yeah. to it and feed it cheese fries. Is that a problem? But I also, mean, yeah. probably for anybody who actually rescues possums. But also, realistically, if I'm at an Applebee's, uh, just leave me alone. <laughs> if I'm at an Applebee's, I'm there for a reason. And just leave me alone. I'm going through it. How were we watching last night? What were you watching last uh, night? We were watching there. John Wick 2, and I feel like there was some line about not being able to go to an Applebee's. I don't know. John Wick 2 is really good, though. I've heard good things. Um, this might surprise you. I'm not the biggest Keanu Reeves fan. Like, current. Like, I liked Keanu Reeves, and he was still kind of, like, greasy in, like, the 90s and 2000s. I, I want to pet him and be friends with him. Like, not like a raccoon or possum, though. That's, that's a little different, guys. Slightly, though. But, um... I like that somebody told him he was breathtaking at E3. That was great. That was but yeah, I think everyone should read Sappho. I really do. Like, it, well, if it interests you, like, don't. I was talking about this with a friend that um, here's the tricky thing with literature. Anytime it's an assignment, you're gonna hate it. Mm-hmm. Thanks, kinda, I hate it. Yeah, that's kind of why we started this podcast. Is that uh, 
it's been nice to kind of realize, hey, these things that I was forced to read, maybe I don't hate them as much. Oh, there were so, are so many things that we've read that I had completely maligned because it was like, you need to read this in a week. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I think that I'll still hate Ethan Frome. Oh, we're going to have to cover that, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we're going to read Hawthorne, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely, this is not a softball in any of the books that were just bad. Like, I'm still going to hate Ethan Frome. If anything, I might just hate Ethan Frome more, because I'm older now and I'm bored. I kind of feel like Nathaniel Hawthorne is cursed because of his ancestors to just be incredibly boring and try to hit you over the head with symbolism. But I also hate that because America didn't have culture until, like, the jazz era. We have to read him. We had borrowed culture. Which is not the same. I think Boston would disagree with you. Okay, and if they can fight me on it, I'd be happy to accept it. Uh, what were our sor- what were our resources? So we have If Not Winter by Ann Carson, which we talked about quite a bit. Um, Women of History, Sappho, which was on, it's like a free thing that's on um, YouTube. Ooh. We have Sappho, Love and Life on Lesbos, which is on the history um podcast stuff from uh it's on youtube Mm -hmm. i will include the link in our show notes Mm -hmm. and stuff you missed in history class sappho who did an incredible job thank you ladies i love stuff you missed in history class it's wonderful i mean so good i was listening to it at work in my headphones and just going oh i had no idea um i will say the majority of the stuff that i took for this outline came from stuff you missed in history class and Mm -hmm. sappho love and life on lesbos um i Stopped listening to podcast or because I was listening to Lore one day and I had to like throw my headphones like, no! Although he's like one of the only people I've ever listened to that can actually pronounce Bowtree correct, so. Yeah, but also he did a lot of work to pronounce it correctly. Yes. I, I and like. And he fixed the way that I pronounced it. I Like me and Howda. Like you and Howda. <laughs> Which uh, now I have to specifically train my brain anytime I'm like looking at you to be like, Howda. When I was Gouda. at a when I was at Specs last night, they had a Van Gogh Howda, and I was so like, "You're fucking with me." <laughs> You're just because it's not Van Gogh Van Gogh. Like it's like a guttural kind of like breathy noise that you would probably make before or after sex. And this completely just explained all of uh, that episode of Doctor Who to me. Did it? Yes. Yay! Anyway, I'm useful. What are we doing next month for your birthday? Next month is my birth month. Uh, so if you'd like to give us a tip or if you'd like to be our sponsor, that is a good time to do it as a present to me. You're all knowing and all powerful uh, literary analysis goddess. I don't know. Uh, so we're actually covering some Edgar Allan Poe. I'm thinking Telltale Heart. Ooh. I'm thinking, because that was one I did have to read in school. That is okay. one that yeah, I had to read in school, school too. So it was either going to be The Raven and or Telltale Heart. Let's do both. I like both. Um, okay. Also probably featuring a lot of photos from my trip to the Poe Museum. Yes! Which Tori loved. I was just kind of living vicariously through Amanda. Including the beautiful black cats who live there. Yes, which are wonderful. Yes, so we're covering some Poe, and then towards the end we're covering uh, one of my favorite French poets. Yes. Which you'll get a primer on, though, starting with my short story, because I will be covering uh, Arthur Rimbaud and Paul Verlaine. Which is why I got so excited. They're such... I mean, I don't know why people don't cover the French bad boys of poetry. Because I think they're afraid. It is pretty raunchy. It is pretty raunchy. Uh, so that'll be what we do for so my birth fun. month. And uh, we'll wrap out Pride with my short story. And then I think I think we did Pride okay. Did we do Pride okay? I'm, I'm going to li- leave that up to the listeners. I feel like we, I feel like we did okay. Yeah. We I- tried. I mean, what's, what's amazing is, is that... We didn't throw Virginia Woolf at you. No, we didn't. Yet. No, we didn't. <laughs> uh, and I mean, realistically, there's a lot of authors that we could have covered, but um, here's a little peek at the method to the madness. Um, there is only so much of a cis, white, gay man stuff that I think I can take anymore during Pride. Uh, Pride does seem to be a lot of that nowadays. So at least I did like to break it up a little bit with, you know, like Sappho, who's trying her best. She's just trying her best. And I, I do think that there was some intentionality with having really two bicons because bi erasure is a thing in the LGBT community. Ooh, it's a big thing. It's a, it's a real thing. And um, it's a frustrating thing because we're one of the foundational letters of LGBT. We're the third letter in. We're the third letter in. Um, 
So it is kind of frustrating that buy erasure is such a thing and that uh, buy visibility isn't a thing. So I, I do think there was some importance to us covering these two figures. I mean, I, I'm comfortable calling Sappho bi. I'm comfortable doing that. Are you comfortable making that assessment? I just feel bad because I really wish there was more solid details about her life. I do. Um, it's, it's really frustrating to be reading about a figure and have one person be like, she was a temple prostitute. And you're like, probably not, though. But also that has such a different connotation back then than it does now. And a lot of the phrases, I mean, were interesting because, I mean, gay now, we know what that means, but mm -hmm. previously gay meant you were cheerful and delightful. Yeah, queer just meant strange. Mm -hmm. um, so words have meaning and words change over time. Postmodernism! Woo! One, one uh, point to the Jacques Derrida jar. Oh, no. Do we have to have a, a Jacques Derrida jar? I would kill for a Derrida jar. Like, I... Postmodernism is one of my favorite parts of like queer theory and uh, feminist theory. That again, like words have meaning, but they also don't. And words that had meaning a hundred years ago don't have meaning anymore that they do now. Yep. Words are dumb and they're societal constructs. I love words though. I mean, I love words too. I but like when you use them for good though, not evil. Yeah, but again, like these things have societal constructs. Like we we have supplanted so much onto Sappho because of our societal constructs around what these things mean. That almost rob her of her agency. We have such an idea of what it means to be on Lesbos and to be sapphic that we collectively, not me and Tori, because we're doing fine. Um, <laughs> we are. Okay, good. I think we are. Uh, <laughs> I think we're doing okay. Uh, that we collectively as a society have put upon her. That You know what? We could find a fragment tomorrow that Sappho was totally straight. And it was just like one of those like drunk girls at a bar. Who, like, got a little bit gay when she was drunk. Listen, they are the oracles of Delphi of our modern age, okay? Yeah, that is 100% true. Like, drunk bar girls are the best. Thank you for that meme on Facebook that is, like, the drunk girl at the bar who tells you that even though you've been hurt, you will find love again. Absolutely. And I'm like, you will. I was that girl. My friend was also that girl. I will not use her name because I think she'd be mad at me. Probably. Um, but we were the ones that were walking around the bar going... You're so beautiful. It's 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 gonna be fine. You're, you're gonna be fine. I, I don't understand why you're crying. Do, yeah, like do we, you want do you want a shot? You want like, a shot? Like we 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 that could have been Sappho. That she could have been like some like chill like woo girl. Listen, do I have to explain what a woo girl is? No, we're not explaining what a woo girl is. Because it's honestly just, one of my favorite things. Just just go go watch a what is it? How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, because um, I realize that I'm a bit of a woo girl. On the right alcohol, fun fact, uh, I'm African-American, which means that I could either process malt liquor or I could understand poetry, and I chose poetry. I cannot process malt liquor. <laughs> Please make that a t-shirt. I will. I, oh. I cannot process malt liquor. I can't. So there was one uh, Thanksgiving that I was drunk off of uh, Korean burritas. Oh, wow. Canned cranberitas. And I fell. Like, I was, like, face down in the dirt. She said, this doesn't hurt. Like, it was bad. And just cackling and a nightmare. Malt liquor makes me a woo girl. And yes, I did just make an allusion to face down. You're welcome. I, um, once was with my friend who recently got married, who I love very much, but I'm not calling out right now. And we had spent the night out at a bar, and uh, her bartender friend was hooking us up, which was really nice. Yeah. And the next morning, we were supposed to do a 5K. Why? Do you hate yourself? I did. I okay. woke up. I threw up. I walked to her bedroom door and knocked on it and said, I've already thrown up. Are we doing this? And we did. And our team name was Bloody Mary Full of Vodka, and it was a reference to Archer. And we made it. We walked the whole thing. But I ended up finding some ladies, like, car keys and saving the day. So that was pretty cool. I would like for you to know that in our entire friendship, I will never make you walk a 5K. I like walking 5Ks because then I feel like I've actually accomplished something. Okay. Like, usually they give you a medal and then you can be like, yeah, so I did this 5K on my honeymoon. True story. I did a bunch of 5Ks when I was a kid, but uh, I'm fat now and lazy. But um, I'm excited for next month. I'm excited for the continuation of this podcast. November, we have a one year. Oh my gosh. 
we should start taking suggestions what we should do for our one year. I mean, I'm worried that people are just going to add us, please just shut up, but... I wish someone would. Amanda will find you. <laughs> Here's where your skin is a coat. That is, I will go, <laughs> I will go full Wendigo. I will make a, I will make a fine coat of your pelt. So, for people who want to be made into a fine coat of pelt, here's our social media. Yes. Unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately RR on Twitter. Unfortunately required on Instagram. Unfortunately required reading.com, which is probably going to be the best place to find the above. It is. And if you want to suggest a book for the podcast or have a funny story or really hated your English class or something like that, email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Or if you have any, like, corrections. Like, I definitely don't want us to sound like we're infallible. I mean, I'm infallible. <laughs> Are you the Pope of the podcast? Yes. Oh, God. Have I never told you what I want my Pope name to be? What do you want your Pope name to be? I want to be Pope Joan the Second. I like it. Yeah, Pope Joan may or may not have been real, but, uh... Her story is amazing. I'm going to eat some more of this feta cheese and some of these olives that I mistakenly called grapes earlier. I mean, they're good olives. They're target olives. I didn't. I, I was going to go to Whole Foods, but uh, Whole Foods on this side of town. Forget it, Whole Foods. Go read a book. Go read a book. <laughs>